This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's pray. Father, we come now before you, Lord, as ready students. Lord, we're ready to hear what you have for for us this morning. So, Lord, we pray, speak, Lord, we're listening in Jesus' name, amen. Micah chapter six, verse one. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains. Let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O ye mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel, O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me, for I brought thee out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Bala, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000s of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod who hath appointed it. Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances, with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich man thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, in making thee desolate before it because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied. Thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee, and thou shalt take hold, but shall not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil. And sweet wine, but shalt not drink wine. For the statutes of Omri are kept in all the works of the house of Ahab. And you walk in their counsels that I should make a desolation in the inhabitants thereof and hissing 
Therefore, you shall bear the reproach of my people. This chapter, like so many chapters in the Bible, starts off with this very strong word, hear, or shema, hear. With this hear, God is now pleading strongly, like when Jesus Christ prayed. He didn't just blandly pray with no passion. The prayers of Jesus Christ are described as with supplications and with tears, of, and not just tears of sobbing, but a strong crying, as it says in Hebrews 5.7. Hebrews 5.7 describes the prayers of Jesus Christ when it says that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. He is described, and we are about to remember that in the breaking of bread, he is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3, it says he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You know, that word acquainted in Isaiah 53.3 is the word yada. Yada means to know, to know. But the word yada is a very special word. It's used often in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the Friendship with God Bible in your pews there, you can see every time in the Old Testament when that book, when that word yada is used, it's special because it, it means knowing very personally. It means knowing intimately. The word yada comes from the Hebrew word yad, which means hand, hand. That's, what, that's where it comes from. And the word hand, there's two words for the word hand. Yad means an open hand, like this, as opposed to kaf, which is a closed hand. Yad is an open hand. The open hand yad feels it feels, it means that, that yod means to feel with an open hand. That's the meaning that's behind this very important word yada. You know, one day when, when my wife and I, Cheryl, we were in the Rodin Museum of Sculptures in Paris, and uh, where the thinker is, the Rodin thinker and others, and the head of Balzac, very famous. And it was a very special day when we were there. It was bright, it was sunny, it was beautiful outside. And we didn't know, but the museum had actually closed when we were in it, and we were allowed to stay in the museum because it was a very special day. Because on this day, the museum was having a group of blind people. Think about that, a group of blind people in the Rodin Museum to experience the Rodin uh, great sculptures. And what a treat it was for us. It was more interesting than the sculptures, just watching the blind people as we tagged behind them as they toured the museum. Because as the ropes came down and the blind people were allowed to come up to these great sculptures and experience those masterpieces for themselves. And it was so exciting for us to watch this happen as each blind person was led up to a sculpture, and with open hands, 
The blind person just felt all over the faces, especially the faces, as they followed the contour of the eyebrows and the forehead and the eye sockets. And as they did, you could see the expression on the blind people's faces as they smiled, as they realized, oh, now we know this sculpture. And I couldn't help but think as I was watching that, that if Rodin was there himself, he would have said, he would have said, you blind people are the only people in the museum who have come to know my sculptures like I did. Because everybody else just knows the sculptures with their eyes. They look at the sculptures. But I didn't make these sculptures with my eyes. I made these sculptures, Rodin would say, with my hands. And these blind people have come to know my sculptures like I know them with my hands. That's a graphic meaning of the word, the Hebrew word yada. It means to know with the open hand. And if you want a blind person to know your face as yada, then you sit still as that blind person puts his hands all over your face. He's rubbing all over your face. And then that blind person will tell you, I know your face. I know your face because he has yada, your face. He has known it with an open hand, yada. And that's how God knows each one of us because God made us with his hands in Genesis 2.7. Genesis 2.7, it says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So when it says in Genesis 2.7 that God formed man, that's the same Hebrew word, yatsar. It's not yada, it's yatsar. And that's used for the potter who squeezes the clay into the form of his hands, just like Rodin did when he made those sculptures of his. And as God did that, we can see God getting very close to know each one of us in such an open way, with an open hand, yada, which is what is said about God, which David said in Psalm 119.73, Psalm 119.73, when David said, thy hands have made me and fashioned me. That's how God knows each one of us, yada, with open hands, like the sculptures, like Rodin knows the sculptures with yada, with an open hand, and as a blind person knows a face with an open hand. This yada, open hand refers to when a husband knows his wife. When she conceived, when the first woman conceived in the Bible, the conception is described in Genesis 4.1, Genesis 4.1 with Eve, where it says, and Adam knew his wife, Eve. He knew Eve, his wife. Adam, yada, knew his wife, Eve. And she conceived and bared Cain and said, I have gotten a man who is the Lord. That's why, which is why the Bible says that a man should not know a woman unless she is his wife. A man should only yada, know with an open hand, his wife, as it says in 1 Corinthians 7.1, 1 Corinthians 7.1. Now concerning the things whereof he wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. The Bible's referring to the yada touch there, an open hand on the body. This is what God told Abimelech when he had taken 
Abraham's wife and didn't know it was Abraham's wife, Sarah, into his harem. And God said to him in Genesis 20, verse 6, Genesis 20, verse 6, God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her, to touch her. The point of all this is just to explain how the Hebrew word yada means a close, intimate knowledge as by a feeling with an open hand. And this is what is described as what happened to Jesus Christ. The grief, as Jesus Christ knew this yada, this grief with an open hand, in Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and yada with grief and knows grief, acquainted with grief. Jesus Christ, yada, knows grief, and this intimate knowledge of grief and sorrow has put Jesus Christ in such pain and anguish that he is described as in the pain and the anguish of a woman and how she feels as she's giving birth during travail, during childbirth. In Isaiah 53.11, Isaiah 53.11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. This is the yada knowledge that he has by feeling is what is meant when it says how Jesus Christ has experienced the feeling of our griefs, the feeling of our sorrows, the feeling of our weaknesses. In Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, it talks about him being touched with these feelings. Hebrews 4.15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Our infirmities came to him with one big open yada hand, and it touched Jesus Christ, and that's what makes him an approachable high priest. We have a high priest in Jesus Christ who is approachable because he has felt with an open hand the feelings of our weaknesses and our temptations. He understands, he understands because he's been touched with the open hand of our sorrows. This has made Jesus Christ both an understanding and an approachable high priest. Not like the priest that Cheryl and I encountered one cold winter day when we were in London's Westminster Abbey. It was so cold. It was cold outside. There is a coldness in, in England that uh, I think they have, they have they, they've got the corner on the coldness for the world. They can, it can be so cold there. They have such piercing coldness. I remember one time I was with some business people there and walked outside and it was sunny and he looked up and says, oh, this is beautiful just like it is in England three days out of the year. <laughs> he said, three days. It's cold. Anyway, it's cold inside Westminster Abbey that day, cold outside, and Cheryl was shivering and, and said to the priest who came by, it's so cold in here, she said. And the priest said, my dear, when you are filled with the love of God, you don't feel cold. <laughs> that was not an understandable and approachable priest. <laughs> 
But Jesus Christ is not like that. He's understandable, he's understanding, and he is approachable, a high priest, because in Hebrews 4.15, as we saw, he's been touched with an open hand with the feeling of our infirmities. So all this is to show what God wants us to see in verses one and two, that God has such strong feeling here in these verses that three times in these two verses, God cries out with a call, here, here, and twice God uses the word controversy. There is a controversy. He's describing his passion. God twice is pleading in verse one. He has the word contend, which means plead. In Micah 6.2, Micah 6.2, he will plead with Israel. God is so frustrated that Israel is not hearing his passionate cry, that he turns now, God turns now in absolute frustration to mountains, to hills. And he says in verse one, in verse one, contend thou before the mountains and let thy hills hear thy voice. And just when we see God turn to call to the mountains and the hills to hear his cry, it reminds me one time when I was so frustrated about how the Jewish people were not hearing me when I brought the gospel to them. And, and one day I was just out in my little 14-foot aluminum boat all alone out there in the, in the middle of the Sea of Cortez. Well, not that far out, but I felt I was in the middle of the sea. But anyway, in front of Loretto there, and I was out there feeling nobody's listening. And I looked out, and all of a sudden there were two pelicans that came right up the side of the boat. And they were sitting in the water right next to my little boat, these two pelicans. And at first I started, and I just started to talk to the two pelicans, you know. And I pretended they were people. And I preached the gospel to them, those two pelicans. And they didn't fly away. They were just so happy about that. And afterward, I thanked them for listening and for not flying away. And this is God's controversy. He's so frustrated with Israel. He's pleading with Israel and so personal with him that he turns to the mountains and he says in verse one, it doesn't end with, let the hills hear thy voice, but worth ends with, let the hills hear thy voice. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, let them hear thy words, I meant to say. He doesn't say, let them hear thy words. He says, let them hear thy voice. There's a difference because it's the voice of God that's heard in the words. The voice of God is heard in the word, which means that the words are so closely associated with the person of God. A voice is like a fingerprint. It's like a fingerprint. A voice is unique to a person. We recognize people by their voices, which is what John 4 is all about when Jesus talked about his voice. He was talking about the fingerprint, the recognition of his voice when he said in John 10, John 10, three, he said, to him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. John 10, four, John 10, four says, when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They know his voice. John 10, three, they hear his voice. John 10, four, they know his voice, John 10, 5, John 10, 5, 
a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. John 10, 16, John 10, 16, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. They shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. You know what the one fold and one shepherd? All the sheep, the Mongolian sheep, and the Tanzanian sheep, and the Eskimo sheep, along with the Jewish sheep, they're all gonna get together, and they're gonna say, you know what we share in common? We know the voice. We know the voice of Jesus Christ. And that makes us brothers. We know the voice because he said the all-important principle about a person who is in Christ is John 10, 27. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's just like when we hear a familiar voice, we say, we say uh, maybe someone calls us the phone or is a distance. Is that you, John? I know it's you, John. I recognize your voice. I recognize your voice. So that's just like when we read the Bible and we read a verse and it becomes alive to us. And when that happens, we say, is that you, Jesus? I know it's you, Jesus. I recognize your voice. So here, God is so full of passion about his controversy with Israel that God, as we said, he turned to the mountains, just like turning to pelicans, and he commands the mountains to hear, and God turns to the foundations of the earth, and he commands the foundations of the earth to hear him in verse two, verse two. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. And if Israel will not hear, then God will turn to the mountains and he'll turn to the foundations of the earth, which are more inanimate than pelicans. And God will be heard, even if he is to be heard by just mountains and foundations of the earth, the Lord will not go unheard. And God calls his contention, his trouble, his disagreement with Israel in verse two. Verse two, he calls it the Lord's controversy, the Lord's controversy. In verse two, God is saying that this controversy belongs to him. God owns this argument, this disagreement with his own, and he labels it, therefore, in verse two, the Lord's controversy, the Lord's controversy. You know, usually in a family, a family doesn't like to hang out as dirty laundry for the neighbors to see. Very typical that when there's a loud argument in a home that all the windows should be shut so the neighbors don't hear the yelling and all that that's going on because there's just a desire to keep all those disagreements and arguings and controversies inside the walls of the home. Just better that way. Don't hang them out for everyone to see because it's embarrassing it's embarrassing to let the neighbors see that there's an arguing in the home and we have to keep up a good image after all in the front of the neighbors, that's what we gotta do. But not God, that's the amazing thing, not God. God lets all his family problems go on full display for the world to see as God says in verse two, the Lord hath a controversy with his people. 
with his people. God doesn't care if the world sees the arguing and the disagreement and the controversy in his home. He puts it all out on full display. He hides nothing. And now, the humility of God. This is very humiliating for God, but God doesn't care. He's going to plead with Israel publicly. He'll plead with them before the city of Jerusalem, as when Jesus came near to the city of his people in Luke 19.41, Luke 19.41, when it says, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.